We there yet? We there yet? The podcast with Rich Kiamko. Uh, that's me. <laughs> we are here live in the car with Tristan Smith and Khalees Hawkins. Hey, Khalees, how you doing? Hello. So we're driving en route to the Arnold House, and we're on the fly. <laughs> it's really weird lighting on my mouth, but we're fine. Uh, how are you doing today, Khalees? How you feeling? I'm feeling okay. I um, I just took a cold Xanax. I'm feeling actually very relaxed. <laughs> oh my god, you're, you're totally chilled out now. It's one of those days. You know the expression where people say you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm reevaluating all these expressions from the old days before anybody knew about like antidepressants. There's no wrong side of the bed. It's just like whatever psychological issues you're having right. that day. It's not the side. This is not where I want to be right now. Is the wrong side of the bed, I guess. The saying. wrong side of my head. I woke up on the wrong side of my head today. Right. <laughs> well, we're headed upstate where there's going to be, I think, a little bit of snow. Although it's totally really, clear. we're going to drive towards I, snow. I think we're driving through a little bit of snow. We had a little bit of snow yesterday. I'm so glad I didn't know about that before I got in the car. I hate driving in snow. Right? It scares the crap out of me. But it sounds like it rained earlier today, so it might just be damp and mucky. Okay. So. How, do you, how are you um, driving in snow, Tristan? Oh, great. Are you great? Do we have snow tires on this? <laughs> if not, I know exactly <laughs> where we're going to be stuck. In the last two times that there was snow, there's a spot that this, the cars, all cars stop at this one spot. These are the cheapest tires possible, so we're, oh, lucky, okay. we're lucky it works on a road. <laughs> what great Uber would it Like, if I ordered you as an Uber, what would this car be? <laughs> <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the share is, I don't know. Is it a pool? It'd be like Uber. Is this a permanent pool? <laughs> Uber yeah. kitty pool. Is it, it's the pool of Uber, like where the Uber drivers get in the car to get to their better cars. <laughs> Sorry, Tristan. Pool, I don't know you is, at all. The pool is referring to the puddle of water in my trunk. No. Oh, okay. Well, it, like, within the trunk, do you have, like, baby formula? What do you have in the back of the trunk? These cute little Crocs, I'll tell you that much. I saw these. Yeah. These are the cutest little Crocs. This is, this is like, if you buy Crocs for your maybe three-year-old this size foot no, is. Those are mine. <laughs> you see I mean, that's there. that's good. Oh, that's good parents shit right there. That's good parenting. Because you don't want that, like that child's walking, right? Yeah. I mean, please tell me you didn't get Crocs for like a crawling baby. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty tiny. Just to decorate. But that's the good parenting. Well, I, I said to I said to Tristan, I said, I, "Do you have a kid? Do you? I, I didn't. I forgot." <laughs> He's like, oh, it's totally normal for a dude. In the trunk. <laughs> With the bottle. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's totally normal for dudes to have, like, children's shoes in the in the rear window. <laughs> Maybe it's, like, inner child work. Maybe you're doing things to heal what happened when you were three. I don't know. Isn't that why, well, of course, that's why we're all comics. We're all wounded. Cause we, and we all collect baby shoes. <laughs> well, you collect baby shoes because that's important to you. That's right. I collect resentments. I collect resentments and unavailable men. <laughs> so we were talking before about, uh, so did you think, so you were saying you think, uh, what was it? I was going to say Lady Gaga. No, uh, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. We were talking about personality disorders. And I was saying that I don't think there's a such thing as like anybody having a personality disorder just because they have something wrong with them. I think we all are just, should just be classified as 
whatever personality disorder we are. And I think like sociopaths and narcissists get like a bad rap because there's really like murderous types of those. But I thought about somebody like Mother Teresa, who in order to be that um, selfless, you have to be some sort of a narcissist, I would imagine. Right, I guess. Your personality, in order to endure that kind of thing, you have to have some kind of disorder. And I, I, hey, I don't know. You know what? We've never, like, examined biblically the Bible stories with with psychological disorders. Right, that's true. You could do a whole, like, uh, or like a Myers-Briggs on each of the apostles. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not saying that any of the, like, magic didn't happen. Because I think that all the science is magic in disguise. But I'm just saying, I would love to, like, think about... What would that mean? Jesus was a narcissist? No, not at that point. Not at the point that he was at. He would be more of the therapist. Right. Like, if the apostles were all each of personality disorder, Jesus was their therapist. Right. So he was the one trying to get them all to... God is the... (laughs) (laughs) God was like uh, Oxford. He took all their plans. therapist. Right. What is it called? Cognitive behavioral therapist. Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy. That's what the Bible is. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Right, right. Without coping. I gotta remember, I can't remember what cognitive be. Oh, it's like, oh yeah, it's like thinking in a healthy, positive way will help you with your, manage your stress and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, in a way, I think that's, you could look at it that way. It's a way to uh, reclaim our fractured self and realign with our greater self. This is becoming like this is becoming a podcast on uh, on self redemption. That's fine. I'm totally I'm totally into self help and all that. Self care. Self care, right? And it's also you're well, and you're both well. You're a mom and you're a dad. So what? How do you balance? How do we co-parent our child? How do you, <laughs> well, how do you like? How do you? How like, do we raise our kid together? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> we leave it in the trunk and then. <laughs> well, kids have little swipe buttons. You can just swipe them off when you're you know let them sleep. Swipe them back. No, but seriously. It really is a day to day, moment to moment thing. Asha, how old is Asha now? She's 12 now. She just turned wow. 12. Oh my god, she's 12. She's practically over you. Yeah. Is she giving you, like, is she kind of like mom enough? Not really. Not I guess, yet. I guess, like, she'd like to be like that, but I, I like her so much. Like, I, like, you know, I think a lot of parents do that thing where they go, I love you, but I don't like you. Actually, okay, my parents did that. But they I think a lot of parents treat their children that way. And I actually really like my kid. So she's starting to do that thing where she's like, I don't need you anymore. But I'm like, hey, but you're still cool. Can what, you, you think, what about Tuesday? You want to hang out then? Like, I'm still... Like, I started... I actually started seeing Cats in the Cradle to her. And she didn't even get the reference. Oh. And I was like... You're- well, no, that's, that's a song for you to cry to, not for the kid. The, yeah. kid's be, the whole point is the kid's oblivious, right? The kid's <laughs> repeating... The, the, the pain. I was trying to get her to go to a um, dream vision board party with me. Oh my god, stop it. It turned out to be a pyramid scam. Oh, but I really? respect it. And oh, I got to tell her. With the shakes and all the. It was a pyramid scam. It's unfortunate. I, You know, it suckers a lot of minorities and people who want to have a good life. Right. And I feel bad when people do the sort of the bait and switch. Because vision boards, I think, are important. Exactly. It's really. It opens up a I've conversation. Never done it. Have never you done, done it? it? Yeah. Well, we should do one. We should, we should do a party. No, totally. We'll do a party. Seriously. Like a legitimate, like this is actually what we came for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without any, you know, stop. Seriously. Without like, any recruiters. Talk. Yeah, seriously. No, we'll do that. We'll do 
Because it's it actually, I, I was at a, at a retreat the other weekend, and they were talking about how vision boards are a way to trick yourself into giving yourself permission to have what you want. Because you treat it like a game, and it's over here. It's not so so crazy and so hard. The stories, the stories we make up are that things are so difficult. But if you just put it on the board, you're like, oh, okay. And then just sort of let it sneak its way back in. I think you're right. I think we do tell ourselves a story of how we think we're going to achieve our goal. And we've told there those people, the personalities that believe they truly deserve this, told themselves the story of how easily it would happen, and that can work for them. But I don't, I honestly don't think it's still all in our power. I don't, I don't believe in the secret being. I don't believe that because all of our secrets would collide, and that's chaos. We can't all like have that much control over our own lives. It's just not. I just don't believe. Well, that. I think it's also it's like a, it's like an orchestra. You're you're or, you're co-creating with the whole collective of people, right? There's all these different. Somehow it all sifts through. But yeah, you, you did, you know, the light show. You, there were things that you wanted, right? That you had desire. Right. I mean, they didn't just fall out of the sky. There was a part of you that was wanting it. Right. And I, and I definitely worked towards those things. Right. What I'm thinking though is the people, because I'm always trying to look at like people who get this stuff and people who don't. And so my first thought is the people who get it, they are egotistical enough to believe they deserved it. And so they, they right. push themselves harder. But in the same token, that doesn't mean that they're going to get it. Because there are people who believe that same thing, and you can watch them going crazy. Right. Because they didn't get it. Right. And they believed. So right. just believing isn't enough. Mm. It's like, there's timing. There's right place wrong. There's like, you're, that per, pick particular management. Um, like a lot of the Last Comic Standing people happened to be managed by the people who created Last Comic Standing. So when it first right. came out, it skyrocketed people's careers. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. I hate that everything we ever talk about always ties back into comedy, but that's the world we, <laughs> that's well, the world we well, live in. This is the world we're in, and we're, you know, we're not driving up into the middle of nowhere because we're not. <laughs> you know, like, who drives two and a half hours to tell jokes for an hour and a half exactly. and then drive back another two and a half? Yeah, like without comedy, we don't even talk. We're not even. We don't know each other. Right, right. That's a common bond. That's that's how these this, this all came together. I have no idea how else we would have met each other, right? I'm still curious about Tristan. Oh, what are you curious about? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> oh, we don't is, know anything is, is about English, you. Is English your first language? Well, I'm working on it. You know, but yes. Where are you from? I'm from, I'm from New Jersey. Oh. Very excited. Where's your Jersey? Outside of Philly, oh, like Camden, uh, yeah, close to there, Morris, Morristown or Cherry Hill, Marlton. Cherry Hill, oh, Cherry Hill, Cherry Hill Mall. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend of mine's lives near there. Lived there until I was sixteen. You were sixteen, and then you came what? To what's that? Where did you go after sixteen? Uh, let me see. I went to boarding school for two years in Newtown, PA. Then I all went, boys boarding school? Uh, it was uh, mixed. It means like you only go home for for holidays. What's that? You only go home for holidays. Type boarding school. When they drop me off, you want me to stay to the left? Yeah. Okay. My parents, when they drop me off for boarding school, they moved to Tennessee that same day. What? So when I would go home for the holidays, I was just in Tennessee. Why'd they go? Where? What was in Tennessee? Uh, A job for my dad. But there's, they didn't want you to go to school in Tennessee. I didn't want to go to school in Tennessee. Oh, you didn't want to leave. Schools are not that great in Tennessee. Fans tend to see, but that's true. In high school, you knew that? I wouldn't have known that. And, like, where I'm from, I would have thought everything was the same everywhere until I moved. 
I was kind of like, uh, I was nerdy. Uh. You know, I was like the, uh, you know, top grades in the school kind of guy. Huh. I got his head, head slammed in the locker kind of guy. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, so you were like smart nerd. Yeah. Abused. Yeah. And your parents abandoned you. <laughs> yeah. That's no, totally I perfect mean, for comedy. That's yeah. how you become a comic. It's a, it's a beautiful. Uh, that's a specific. That's a specific formula for stand-up. Uh huh. Then wait. So then, where did you grow up? Illinois. Weren't you in Chicago? Wait. Springfield. Illinois. Springfield. Right. Right. And then, how long were you in Springfield? To you. I moved. Um, I went to college when I turned eighteen, mm-hmm. and I never went home. Where'd you go to college? Clark Atlanta University. Where? Clark Atlanta University in Georgia. Okay. Why Georgia? I wanted to be around black people. Uh, That's really the reason why? Yeah. Right, because Springfield's pretty white. Yep. And I thought that, because I I hung out with only black people in high school. Um, I mean, I used to only, you you hang out with white people. You just hang out with white people. I'm just saying, like, you find your little clique of black people that you hang out with. And you go, this is so warm, and this is my acceptance you assume that if you find more black people you're going to find more acceptance oh god how was it not like that at all oh my god was like Atlanta has a um, colorism problem I don't know what colorism means but I think (laughs) I think what I'm trying to say is depending on your shade people treated you differently oh so there's a whole rank of like so what's your shade in the rank it's like some kind of fucking coveted dumb shit and since I don't do that, I'm a little bit more um, grunge, and I, I don't do like the hot video girl vixen. I'm I'm not like I'm not that girl, and I'm just being perceived as that girl. I wasn't accepted oh, amongst the type of people who I would have loved to be friends with. Because people thought you were quote unquote better than they. People were. thought that I would think that, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't. Um, lived in the boarding house with the local girls from Georgia. Like, if I had been able to afford living in, which is like the catch-22 of it all, I couldn't even afford to be one of the girls that they resented me for looking like. Oh, but you still... I couldn't afford it. I got accepted to Spelman. I couldn't afford to go to Spelman. I couldn't afford to, like, live um, on campus. Right, right. But... But Georgia has some issues with... So they didn't know what you were really living like? They just made up a story? They no, see, they just see, you know, it's just a way of... They see you as this thing that gets preferential treatment, and then uh, you're automatically resented. Right, right. And you don't even have to be... Um, you don't even have to try to get preferential. It's a privilege. It's like a... There's, we're going through an interesting time right now, right? We're going through a time where women are finally getting... Getting pulled over? Was that a siren? No, that, that was just a guy going by like a bat out of hell. That's all. Um, oh, I heard a siren. I thought, of course, I'm thinking, oh my god, we're gonna get pulled over. Well, there's been a lot of talk about privilege and entitlement and all that. Right. And um, so I realize with- now that a lot of the way I was treated in Georgia, and uh, just honestly, just in life, is as if I have some kind of entitlement that I wasn't aware. Okay. Because. In people's experiences, possibly, I'm trying. I try to see everybody's side of this. Somebody like me would have utilized that tool against right. them in some so way. So you're like, and on TV so and movies, you, I'm depicted that way. Right. So they consider you kind of like 
like you would be the one that would be um, like the girl who's the I'm trying to think of that guy the, the model the, the Tommy Hilfiger model's girlfriend that uh, I can't think of his name now but just tell me to get off here So yeah, so then people perceive, because you're like a medium tone, is that what, what do they call it? What would they call like? Light skin, high light, yellow. A light skin, black, so that gave you this, they perceive, they perceive that you had privilege that you didn't feel you had, but then they would sort of segregate. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know I had it. I, I believe, I agree. Now I see it. I see it now. For sure I see it now. Um, especially when I lived in Hollywood. Especially right. then, because then it was a whole thing. Because then it was. Do you feel like casting was different then? Like, oh, I, I, I didn't do any of that. I'm just talking about the way people treated me in uh, a Dwayne Reed. Oh, really? Or in my own pool. Yeah, it was really disgusting. Anyway, I always knew that I was getting treated differently than darker skinned people. I, I, I was aware of it. I used to complain about it. I complained about it throughout. I even wrote a letter in high school, and I almost got suspended. Because I caused a lot of um, problems and for the um, for the whole school, and wow. and I, I thought nobody liked I thought none of the teachers liked me. I visited a few years later, and they still had copies of my letter. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I will say this to be fair. When I say like I feel like sometimes black people don't accept me, I also am very. Um, Shy and like I don't oh, think right. I don't think that I go out of my way to to connect or invite. Yeah, yeah no, unless it feels safe. And so who like I don't. So then you come off as standoffish and aloof. I'm gonna yeah I gonna so I'm gonna look like the I thing that they're expecting. I yeah. Had the same issue growing up. That at least that that part. Yeah. People thought that I was a stuck up person because I was shy. Yeah. And Isn't that weird? Stand-up. Yeah, that's weird. Wow. Be- I think so. The reason I think that I need to do stand up is because it's the only time I've been able to really speak as myself and it's prepared so I don't mess up I don't stutter I don't get misunderstood I don't have to like explain I don't have to be worried right right it's a it's a because I realized this is what happened to me when I started couples therapy in the three-year countdown to the end of my 14-year marriage I thought oh you get to talk too (laughs) like like there was a whole thing of like oh Oh, you, because in the dynamic of our relationship, he was waspier and more shy. So I'm used to being like, blah, 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 and I would just share my feelings. And I'm assuming like, well, then share yours when you're ready. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. He's like, you never asked me. I'm like, I sit here and dump all day. Like, well, your friends just dump. I'm like, well, yeah, we just talk. I didn't know you needed an invitation. But it's like he had his own thing. I had couples therapy on the way out of my last relationship too. And... It wasn't the same exact situation as yours, but the waspy part came out of the, ours was my levels. Like, you know, when, when I'm experiencing a feeling, I do all the levels. And because where he's from, he thought, he, like, he doesn't, you know, so he, do it's a very levels, even. Explain the levels. You do all the levels, meaning? Like, um, I'm in, I'll be emotional. So if I'm angry, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be loud. If I'm happy, I'm going to be joyous. I'm going to be loud. Right. He didn't like any of the loud levels of anything. It was all very keep it even, keep it inside, and, and keep it hidden, or else it's embarrassing. But the problem with that, and I don't want to get too into this either, is it was only for me. 
I was the only one who was embarrassing. It wasn't towards his friends. It wasn't towards his family. It wasn't towards anybody who was in our in our personal space. It was just controlling my levels because I was just some kind of extension of him. Right. So it's tricky. It's like you, the person doesn't get that we're two separate, complete entities. Mm -hmm. I represent you now because right, you're right. so important. <laughs> right. Right. It's I gotta ask you guys. You got both think of a couple's therapy since you both did it and it didn't end up in your relationship sticking together in either case. That's a great question because I was going to actually say I think couples therapy is very key on the way out because then you see each other clearly and you have a mediator there and and you can see with somebody like observing you can hear all the truth more clearly and the reasons why you guys shouldn't be together in that capacity. Yeah, I do. I agree. I like if anything that's why I did three years. I mean, there was even more couples therapy before that because I wanted, before we moved in, I said we're doing, you know, before we get this mortgage, I'm not doing any of this until I know that we have some basic communication skills so that, because when we had, we would have these funny fights at parties. Like, I would put the beverages, we'd be in one room, the food would be in the other area, and I'd be like, I just moved the drink over here. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, my friends just want to drink this up. But that's, this is the dry area. And I'm like, what? And we're having a fight in the bathroom <laughs> over why the seltzer was moved. I said, well, these vents are sober, so I just want to keep it up there. Yeah, this, I said, well, that's the, this is the wet area. That's the dry area. I'm like, oh, my God. My friends said, well, should we? You guys need, I'm like, no, 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 we're fine. We are fine. We are fine. And we had to learn how to, like, negotiate something stupid. So, so, so that, I hear that, and I'm like, my first reaction is, oh, wow, so petty. That's my first gut reaction. And then I think about all I've learned over the last couple of years, and I go, what if he has anxiety? Right. Anxiety disorder will make everything feel like such a tra like a tragic like like this needs to be, I put this here because then I know that the sober people will be happy, the the drunks will be happy right. and and I need this to go this way. Please don't fuck this up and you're also the person who I love and feel close enough to express how much shit I'm sitting on top of right now. Right, right. In the bathroom. Right, right. Right. I, I don't know. Or he's a monster. You know, right. you never know. It's like, but right. I don't look at these situations anymore. When I hear people talk about, like, what happens between them, I can't just go, un, un, like, on a not objective way. I can't ever weigh in because if you don't know that person, yeah, you don't know, you don't whole, know if it was coming from a condescending place or from a victimized place. You right. just never know who, which personality disorder you're dealing with. Right. And it, I realize, too, like, now I look back and go, oh, my God, he just... You just like to throw a party and never had to do it with somebody else, right? And now, then, you know, as the years went on, we were great at throwing parties together. But it was kind of this negotiating. Get this seatbelt. Don't die. It's, it'd be funny if we have it on tape. Well, no, it would not be funny. It would not be. Did you get it? Oh, you're good. Yeah. But no, I think. But also for me, the the three years, the final three years of couples therapy helped me see what I was like. Now I see more of myself. Now, like. I have to take care of myself. No one's going to rescue me in any relationship. I'm responsible for parenting myself. Uh, there were things that weren't working with my uh, husband that, you know, well, ex-husband, you know, was husband. Anyway, my husband, that's my loving label. Instead of having ex, it's just my husband uh, to conjugate it uh, in proper tense. But, uh, you know, I, I think it helped also. I mean, I also did this whole book, Conscious Uncoupling, which is about really taking ownership of all the all the wounds that I think 
I didn't realize I was running on this person. Like, you have to take care of this. You have to fix this thing that happened in my childhood. Mm -hmm. I didn't know consciously. I'm like, oh, I didn't feel lovable. I didn't feel seen. So, of course, I would pick someone that would re-replicate re the same situation so that I could try to get daddy to finally see me. No one becomes a comic because they felt seen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a really common wound. That's a really good point. Right? I've heard a lot of those expressions about why we're comics, but never that one. Oh really? That's yeah. a really good point. But it's true. Even if you're the narcissist, it's you yeah, didn't feel you're, seen you're enough. Yeah, because you don't feel seen enough, right? Or if you're an introvert like me, I didn't feel seen, so I need to be on stage so I can like feel like I'm real. Right, right, alive, uh, valid, uh, that I matter. Have you ever been in couples therapy? Uh huh. And it worked for you? Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. How did you guys do it, or how What's long? That? How long have you, did you guys do couples therapy? Uh, for like, I want to say maybe a year. I, I I don't remember exactly, but I don't know that it. I don't know. I don't know that it did work because, like, she didn't want to take the feedback she was getting from the therapist. So, huh. if like both people aren't willing to to do that, then it's not really effective. Part of the issue is she's a therapist, so that doesn't. Uh, she didn't respect the therapist. I don't know if it was that. I, I have that issue like, with people. I don't know if it just, you didn't respect her, but it was just like, oh, no, that's... I'm like, I'm telling you that. This therapist is telling you that. And then she's like, no. Well, I think it'd be tricky to have like a comic going, oh, that's hacky. That's a hacky therapist. <laughs> yeah. like, like, that's not really... That's not crushing yeah. feedback. I don't like your feedback. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's not tight. I need a tight five. That's <laughs> sloppy. You need, to, you need to rewrite your feedback for me, so I really... Yeah, I... That would be hard for any therapist to take therapy feedback from another therapist if they don't. I mean, those have to be unbiased. So they couldn't. You didn't pick a therapist she knew. You had to pick someone that was like. No, you would never want to get therapy from somebody personally. Knows. Yeah, could you right. imagine doing right. comedy in front of a just comedians? Actually, the worst set I ever had. Yeah, I guess we've done that all the was time. Was I invited times. my therapist to us to see me perform? No. It was this. So I, I just got to tell this story real quick because it's so ridiculous. But I... Why? Wait, first, why did you invite your therapist? I don't know. Well, <laughs> probably because I was early on. I had I was literally in the first six months of doing comedy. But like a crazy person, I was doing it at Caroline's. What therapist would come, though? Um, I thought there was a... The, my therapist. Hmm? Um, so I was doing comedy at, at, at first six months at Caroline's. They, they liked me enough to, like, I worked the door, and they would put me up for, like, five minutes. But I'd be in between people that were that were just on The Tonight Show. It was ridiculous. So uh, I was about to go up on stage, and and, and I, my therapist would be like, oh, I'm going to come see you. And then the guy who books everybody for Caroline's was like, hey, I'm going to be watching you tonight. <laughs> so the combination of those things, I was all up in my head. And I literally did five minutes of, like, pin drop silence. It was like it was so quiet, like I could oh I could hear God. I could hear like the blood pumping inside my head. You ever get that flight or fight or fight or flight response? Oh my where you're God. like, I just gotta run, I just gotta run. But oh I just, God, and your therapist is there. Yeah, my therapist is there, so I just <laughs> stayed there. And you bombed and on stage. Bombed for your so hard, yeah. And then the next therapy session was awkward. I gotta admit. <laughs> yeah, because your therapist is like so. Do you want to still pursue this? How did it make you? <laughs> how did it make you feel? Well, if a therapist was like a girl, then yeah, he'd be like, "I don't think we can see each other anymore." But you know, oh my god, it was a guy. Yeah. Oh god, it's worse. Because it's like I don't know. It's a guy you want to show you like your superpower. Right, and it's a guy that I respect too. That's the other thing. Like, uh, very very cool dude. Wow. 
Why? But I would never invite a... Mm, wow. You know, you live and you learn, kids. You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> Nothing worse than because that's like to me that's like a deep for me my deep uh, or deep wound is like I need to be seen and validated but who doesn't right but as a comic if I let my therapist and they saw me bomb I'd be like I can't come and share my feelings with you anymore I think the beautiful thing about that it was absolutely the combination of all the worst things in the world and after that I've never had a moment on stage where I'm like I can't do this or I'm not going to make it like I'm just like oh I did that so. Every, every other thing has been easy peasy compared right, compared then, right. yeah. so it was good it was like a it was a gift so you've never asked your therapist to come <laughs> no I would no. never right? no I don't you know I don't even like to do comedy in Jersey City <laughs> I don't like anybody who knows me in the crowd oh, or like wow. who I'm gonna run into in the grocery store so you did that show with me. That was brave. Yeah, I'm like, I was trying to get out of the house. And I told you, I told you. I was like, I, I don't do, I don't mind doing a gay bar because I don't feel accosted. Right, right. Well, it's different because you're a woman. But I, I also dudes, think. Dudes, imagine dudes if you're in a regular straight bar. But I think then... that the audience is more creative types. So it's not like, it's, it's not as. I mean, I've, you know, I've been doing this for a while. And you walk around Jersey City, you run into somebody who's seen you on stage. And they, and they want you to be funny or they want you to, like, I don't know, be the same person they saw on stage and you're just trying to do your laundry. Right, right. Ugh. Ugh. I don't find that... I don't find that happening as much with... Honestly, I don't... I don't see as many gay men during the day. I only see them in the night scene. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they right. in the daytime? There are all these gay guys in the day. They're busy doing their, like... Assimilating they have jobs, like real good jobs. Right. right, they're all busy doing those assimilating <laughs> jobs where they're working with straight people and they're just blending in. There's no more gay ghetto. It's all it's all integrated now. It's weird. But yeah, I've done like a two boots pizza, and I regret I regret it. I hate when I run into people in the neighborhood. Like you're a comedian, and I'm like with my kid, and it's just like, ugh. Oh right. You can't be human. You need to be human. A mom. You need to be a mom. You have to be like dance. How did you, what was your first, like, what got you into comedy? Where were you when it happened, when you first got the bug? I, I started February 2004, and it was the month after I broke up with my living boyfriend, my first time living with somebody, and it was just something that we used to go see together, and he wanted to do comedy, and me writing down jokes was my way of encouraging him to do it. Oh my but god, this he, is like the Black Miss Maisel. Oh yeah? Yeah, yep. I saw, yeah, I've been watching enough of it to know that that yeah. is how it happened for me, and he wow. just never did it, and I went and did it. Wow. It's exactly how it happened. Wow. What a gift. It's like the universe said, here, is this just going to prep you? Okay, now go. Go, yeah, I, go live your gift. I think performing is nice, and it, and it stretches you, but it probably it, was, it, was, it helped me excess writing. I think I am more of a behind-the-scenes writing type of personality. And um, without going to, like, the Ivy League schools and all that, there's really no route into writing for TV. And I'm still clawing my way up. But is it still, like, what is it, when you started writing for Late Night, what is it, they they want to pack it. And if you're funny, you're funny, right? You don't have to have some kind of degree, or is it a whole network of, like, Ivy League? Oh, that's mostly Ivy League kids. Really? Yeah. 
they just happen to jump on stage at mics and stuff. It's mostly Ivy League kids in those writer rooms. I didn't know that. Harvard. Yeah. So would it help if I was just Asian? Would that just help me pass for Ivy League? I didn't know that. So why even go to these, why even go to a write your packet for whatever show when it's a whole network? Wow. So how did you, because you're, then you're the exception that proves the rule. You're a woman of color who didn't go to an Ivy. No, that's, that's, that's actually how that works, you know? Um, yeah, that's how it works. And there are a lot of women in co of color, like, Sometimes the woman of color in the room is also an Ivy League girl. Oh. Wow. Me being a woman of color that didn't go to an Ivy League school, it's just, um, it's just my way in. It's like they can't, you can't have expected most black people to go to an Ivy League school. It's just not possible. Honestly, most of the people who I know of who went to an Ivy League school who are, happen to be black are foreign. Really? Wow. From what I know, I don't know that many black. I don't personally know that many black I mean, Obama, Americans. Obama, but you know he was from Kenya. Ha, ha, ha. No, but see, right, right. I don't right. know that many black Americans. Right, right. right black and Ivy in itself is like, you know, within the minority, within the minority, within the minority. Right. And that's not to say, like, in this podcast age, when you can Google it, I'm not to say that's not to say there aren't black Americans at Ivy League school. Right. Oh, no, that's not. People. I'm saying me personally, in my 30, almost nine years walking around, every time I meet somebody who went to an Ivy League school who's black, they're from a, their parents are from another country. Huh. Wow. I had no idea. So now how long were you writing? Was it at midnight? Which, which uh, late night? I wrote for at midnight for, I think it's called two cycles, two writing cycles. Mm -hmm. Then I wrote for Hood Adjacent. And then I just freelanced for um, Disney's Walk the Prank. And then I just wrote a freelance episode for Disney Just Roll With It. Oh, wow. So I'm really excited about so that. you loving that? I love it. It's, it's very stressful. But it's like, for me, everything's so stressful. It's like you pick which stress that you enjoy to do. And that's the one that I, I feel very fulfilled with. Because when you're writing an episode, there's a whole team of people, right? They have a whole... Not when you're freelance. So I, really, I you turn it the into thing. them, and I think they might have a team of writers that, like, punch it up. But I I wrote the whole episode. Wow. It was fun. They gave me... Like, I, I, I gave them an outline. I gave them pitches. I gave them an outline. They revised my outline, and I wrote it. Wow. And this is Walk the Plank? No. This is... This one is Just Roll With It. Just Roll With It. Does it come out? Or that is it? Well, we'll have to. This is kind of new. This uh, is new for me. Right. So I have to hashtag all this stuff and then uh, find out. It'll be exciting to see. <laughs> yeah. And then what? What episode of Walk the Plank did you? Um, I, I don't remember the episode number. The episode. Uh, this episode number is thirteen. Thirteen for that episode. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, that's exciting. But because of this podcast, I'm gonna to try to remember to like post like a screenshot and like say this oh, is. I'm okay. gonna to try to remember to like yeah, yeah, tell yeah. people I wrote well, it. Be, yeah, okay, we'll 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 because in post in, we'll we'll edit in post. This is so high tech. I'm holding like a Zoom recorder and my iPad is duct taped to the dashboard. It's pretty uh pretty uh gorilla. I love it. Now how did how did you get like at midnight? Like what, what was was it at midnight? Did that lead to all the other writing? Like how how did or like oxygen? Funny girls. Like how did 
these related? People knew each other? Nothing's related. Um, my first writing job was because I you remember well I was running the Lantern, oh, okay. and I used, there was the um, comedian named Mike Pomerantz who I used to book all the time. I really liked him, and he had a sister who moved to New York to do something called Nick Mom, and this was when it was just a website, and they they had their mom bloggers and they had real writers, and he put my name in the hat to her. I got interviewed. They had me write a submission, and um, they hired me to write for their Nick Mom website. And that was just, but that was just like lists. So you would write like top nine reasons a mom is late for a party, and then and then you write funny reasons. It's not just you know a straight. It's all supposed to be humor. And from that, that relationship with them, you know, led to a couple of. They did a Nick Mom night out. Oh, and that was stand-up. So, that's the thing I like to say the most. Is a lot of people tried to talk me into having an abortion because I was a new comic. I was 26. Um, and people were like, your career is going to be over. And I ended up having... Nobody was having children. I ended up having a child. It definitely slowed everything down. But it also was my opening... What gave you a specific niche? So you're not just a female comic, it, you're a female comic and a mom. It, exactly. That it, it, it sucks that that's necessary, that somebody has to, like, that I can't just be a person. I can't just be, a, like, a black girl next door type. I have to have, like, this other, I have to have momness. You know? You know mom I mean? realness. <laughs> there has to be, there has to be something else. It's not enough to be me. I have to be a mom for the industry to say I have something to offer. Right. So I'm just curious, how did you bridge the gap from the slowdown to getting back on top of things? I'm just asking for a friend. (laughs) Um, Well, my kids just turned 12, and this is actually, I'm I'm just now starting to make an effort right now to bridge that gap because it's been very slow. Um, I had to sit out a lot. I couldn't afford... I couldn't afford to go do a show for free and pay the babysitter. I Facebook came out when um, my kid was a very small child, and so I just started Facebooking up all my jokes as like that was like my open mic. It was very slow and very isolating, and I'm just now starting to pull out of that. Like I scheduled, I um, invited some girls over tomorrow for Valentine's Day because I have definitely I've been feeling completely alone in my life because oh. I, I, I spend all my time with the kid right right and and then I usually will have a boyfriend so that's nice yeah we've got Scott or and I usually have to have a roommate so that's nice too but other than that I don't have a social life oh. so but you're asking about career and it's just a matter this career is just a matter of um, keeping just keeping going and, 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 and not deciding when you're supposed to get it. Yeah, it's hard not to do that, though. I just don't think that there's any there's any one person in the world that can't do what we do. I don't believe that we're special. That's why it's easy for me. That's also why you're a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no one's special. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of comedians, though, that will go, look at how YouTubers are doing it or look at how whatever you, instead of just adapting and going okay comedy is evolving 
they'll just say that they're not special. These people are not special. They have something else to offer. They might not be doing stand-up comedy, but they're special with what they do. I think that every single person can do what we do. It's, it's like, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a thing. It's like saying that everybody can't do a wedding toast. It's just accessible. It's just doable. Like when I started comedy, it was all about just paying five dollars and getting on stage and having a drink. Anybody so, can do what we do, but they, anybody can not do everybody it. can do it well. I gotta say that because there are people that stick with it hard for like ten years and they still stink out loud. They're just not good at it. And if they want to keep doing that that way, I think that's totally they should. But I don't. I think you're right that everybody can. But there, there, there is a, there is something to to actually be able to do it well enough that people notice you that you're that you're evolving as a comedian and people want you to be on their shows or on their late night program. You know, in my opinion. No, I get it. I've seen people that haven't evolved. Are, I've seen a lot of them, right? That are funny to a certain level. But you know what I mean? Like there's different people you see though, right? That are like, that crush because they're like they have the the actual like you know everyone can get on karaoke, but how many Whitney Houston's are there? Mm-hmm. Right. I've just seen people Zero. when we started that were just so bad, and so bad, like, so like, bad that nobody wanted to be near them so bad. And now, 15 years later, these people are murdering on stage. So I so yeah, when I say you gotta keep going, you gotta keep trying to be funnier. You gotta work. You have to work for it because. But I think everybody has a version of funny in themselves. If they're not working towards it the correct way, if they're not being honest with themselves about what's funny about themselves, if they're trying to duplicate somebody else's way of being funny, then they're not gonna find it. But everybody, I I think has a capacity for a sense of humor. It's it's not. Um, it's not exclusive to certain people. We, yeah, we, we don't own it. Right, right. I agree. So what's next? What's the like? What's what's like a like a nightmare and a dream? Like what was the night like a nightmare gig and what was a dream come true gig? Nightmare gig was I did a bus show. A bus show? Yeah. Like a booze bus? Yeah, like everybody no. like a party, like somebody's birthday party. On a bus. And they, they weren't going to pay us. It was me and Monroe Martin and one other comedian. <laughs> it was, oh yeah, it was horrible. They were so drunk. And they started fighting. No! It a was bus. horrible. And did you have a mic or were you just yelling over the people fighting? We were just yelling. No! They, they weren't fighting while we were doing it. But just as we were, like, they, they wouldn't pay us. We just wanted to get paid and leave. Oh, my so God. So we're just stuck on this bus with people who are drunk and fighting. <laughs> it was so awkward. There was no reason for them to have comedy. If you're going to be drunk and you got food and you got your friends, don't bring us into the picture. There's no reason for us to be there. Yeah, booze bus is not a formula. Booze bus is not a formula for punchline. <laughs> I love it. Wow. How did you guys, did they finally pay you? Yeah, they did. But it was sort of like, you had to take someone else hostage or waterboard I don't, I don't know. We just had to, like, stay on the... We just... I think they were trying to wait us out. And we just stayed on we the bus like, until we got paid. They we were like, wait, bus chicken. We're not going to move until no. you move. No, it was horrible. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think of the best one. The best ones are the ones that are the most forgettable because nobody saw it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not traumatizing. It's, it's not traumatizing. It doesn't. 
I didn't learn anything. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's true. You don't learn anything on the best ones. You're like, well, that was just great. <laughs> but you didn't feel you didn't feel like any challenge or any. Was there anyone that you thought was going to be horrible that you like overcame? Anybody like, who I thought was going to be horrible. Any, like, I've had I, gigs where I'm like, oh my god, this would be horrible, and it oh. actually turned out. Oh. Um, I just did um, the the fat cat last night. Oh my god! How and was that's that? traditionally not fun. It was great because I didn't know what was going on. That's the best. I, I am always the best if I don't know I have to do it. Oh wow! So you're just wandering by and they say, "Hey, get up." Yeah. Oh, that's fun. So it's like, what? Okay, just go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just get to get there and be funny real quick, without thinking about like what they're gonna think about me. Yeah, because there's no space for like fear, obsession, mm-hmm. running around in your head for the half hour before you go up the worst if I should just like press a button and nothing was happening and then just boom okay, I have go. a button for it it's called Xanax <laughs> but how do you get how do you take the Xanax out and go back on stage oh you don't take a whole like Xanax I have like 0.25 milligrams right no, but like if you take it doesn't it just like chill you but then can you still perform if you're like half like if you take little tiny I only took like 0.25 milligrams like a whole Xanax you're gonna want to go to sleep but like 25 milligrams is just enough to kind of calm down a little. I also want to start meditating. I just, I'm not, it's going to sound like I'm trying to be funny. I'm not even patient enough to start meditating. Oh my God, really? I mean, I meditate every day now. It's changed my life. You love it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, trust me, after, uh, in the last three years, I'm like, I gotta like, I'm willing to do anything to get this thing to, to get grounding. Because it was like, wow, I'm going to end a 14 year marriage. What? Let's let's pull out everything I could possibly pull out to make my life smoother and work better. Yeah, because it's all the noise in my head. I mean, I already have I have noise anyway, but at least if I meditate, I have a bigger container so it's not hijacking me as much. What does it feel like when the noise happens when your anxiety hits? Does it fit? Do you feel physical, like a physical reaction, or just distracted? I'm sorry. What were you saying? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I get I get. I can disappear. I could be on eBay for three hours trying to save four dollars on I don't know a bicycle jersey or tennis like tennis something. I mean, so I know like I gotta come. Like, you know, it's, it's meditation. It's tapping. You do a tapping on your body to like bring yourself back in, as opposed to like anxiety or fear or anxiety or, or not. You know, uh, like I can get I can get locked into some sort of obsessive thought or some guy or some person. I'm like, oh, okay, come back, come back to my body. <laughs> Back, go back here. Yeah, meditation just—I don't know. Meditations help me or get out of a fight. Oh my god! If there's like something happening and someone does something, and I'm like, okay, hey, uh, I just want the data. I just need the data. That's all. Instead of going, go fuck, you know, go fuck it. And then like, you know, you can ask when, especially when two dudes have a dispute, and like, you know, it can escalate because one, if the other dude is trying to one up, then the other one wants to one up, and then now it's oh. We're Mm-hmm. So I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, no, I, I just, I'm just here to. You had to, like, I was able to, like, not turn it because the switch can go right into. Oh, oh, great! Now we're gonna have to. Someone's gonna have to pull me up. You know what I mean? Like, at I, this stage of the game, it's like a waste of energy. Right. When you know it's, you know, nothing good's gonna happen. But I still want to be right. You know. I don't know if it's a guy thing. But I caught myself, and the other guy, because I stopped and did like, "Hey, can I just get the data?" And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we both agreed, "Okay, we're not gonna, we're not going there into a fight about some whatever stupid thing." So I think it's—I mean—that also like with the audience, 
if I have some drunk, crazy person, I have a minute, just like a second to like go, okay, hold on. Come back into my body. So, because if I go into if I go into a spiral with a crazy person, I don't know if you deal with it. Oh, I do. Yeah. If it's a spiral, they're being crazy. Like if I go crazy after they're crazy, then it's like a mess. Yeah. But if I'm like, okay, wait, mm, and just have a moment, enough space to breathe, I'm like, thank God for meditation. I would have because I've had other shows where I'm like, I shut down, I get into a crazy place. I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck. I watch a tape and then someone's like, well, what happened? I'm like, well, I don't know. They were, and then I'm not honest. I'm not honest about like I, there was a some. Another, I think it was a South Asian guy in the audience, and he made some comment, and then I asked him a question, and then I started mimicking him and his accent, but I didn't, and I was embarrassed I was doing it, and then I didn't realize I was embarrassed, so I stopped, I just kind of shut down, and mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh my God, I'm racially profiling another brown person, which is hysterical, yeah. but I couldn't get out of my own yeah. head of like, oh, I'm good. now yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to have an awkward moment and call it out. Yeah. I don't know. That's good. It's good because the other the other way I'd just be like sh- stuck, or you know dealing with someone who's being an asshole and like not having enough space to go okay, and like turning it around without dying inside. When somebody subtly walks you down that path when they're when you don't know they're going to be an asshole, that's when I get caught up. But if somebody's obviously an asshole, that's my favorite because my new thing is I just I just keep talking while they're talking, and I. I just it's like I'm doing the same thing they're doing to me and I and I talk over them to a point of it's so rude that I'm not listening to them (laughs) it's so much fun I just keep going and they're trying so hard to get my attention or to get somebody's attention and I just keep talking and talking until it's just over and my voice will change and I'll just like this is the joke the joke is gonna come out and if nobody else in this room is gonna interrupt them it's not my fucking problem (laughs) Because I know that if I fight with them, something very ugly comes out of me and it ruins my whole show. Right. right. So I just let them, I just, I just, if the crowd doesn't want to fix it, I'm not going to fix it for them. And don't get me wrong, I can be very quick with these people and I can shut them down and that happens too. Right. Unnecessary. But when somebody's just crazy out of pocket. Right, right. Well, it's also if someone's so drunk, they don't even... Because normally if something happens, I'll just use the audience to shame them to shut up. Mm-hmm. But if they're too drunk to even know that there's an audience, then you're like, oh, we need a bouncer. Yes. The management. Or, yes. you know, a fire alarm. It's like, because you can't... Oh, yeah, right. Oh, good. Thank you. Tristan, you're doing great. Catching yeah, all the exits. Driving, you know, Google Maps. I'm happy you're a good driver. There's no snow. Oh, as soon as I said there's no right, snow, look. Oh, there's some snow. There's still a, a little bit of dusting, but we're not driving through snow on the road. Right. There's just... Well, the places where it actually snows, they know how to, like, clean up the roads amazingly. Right, and see here, the weather was a little off yesterday. But the tricky part is if it's snowing while we're getting to the venue. The last two shows, it was snowing en route. And then if the plows don't get there before we do... There's a spot where I know that we'd be because that's where the, the the angle of the road gets to a certain angle and that's it. Unless you have four wheel drive, you stay at that that mailbox that goes up to the little ranch where there's a woman who has a boyfriend who's a state trooper who I know now because it's my second time being stuck, third time being stuck there. <laughs> but I don't think we'll need that tonight. We'll be, we'll be fine. The weather looks fine. 
So well, we definitely have to. Do, we have to do a vision board party. We'll do a vision board party. I we'll love do, that. So what is what? So what's your big picture? Like, what would you like to do ultimately? Me? Yeah. See, that's the problem. I don't have any vision. Right. Okay. I I I ultimately, the only thing I can honestly say is, I don't want to be an old person with whatever afflictions I have and no treatment, no help, no no nursing, no like place to put my like no home to be in like i just want to die gracefully that's it right or left yeah left left that's it so you want to you want to transition and i just want to be happy yeah i don't i don't care if i'm famous right right but you've had some really great stuff you already have a lot of great credits i mean i guess it's like the credit's done and then now what you do the next big thing and then I do have some exciting ideas in my mind. I think the the closer you get to giving up on stand up, the more you get to figuring out who you really are. Stand up is not. It's we were we were all tricked into thinking like we're a comedian. Com, you're a comic. That's who you are. It's not. It's not an identity. It's right. something we do. Right. It, it 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 shouldn't be more important than fucking karaoke, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, who you are is bigger than this thing you do, right? I like that. I, Instagram has proven to me that everybody's special. <laughs> Everybody. Right, right. But there's something that getting on stage live that no Instagram or any social media. There's just, it's a, I mean, there are people that are YouTube stars that have, it's, it, that's a whole other animal. But the live, the ability to get on stage with a microphone. And to entertain a and to entertain a crowd is a very specific. It's still a specific skill, I think. Is to me. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this if it didn't matter to me. Your big picture, Tristan. What would you like? My big picture. You know, I think the the reality is. Uh, I, I agree. You can't be in it for fame. You can't be in it for fortune. Because honestly, the people that make it to that level, you have the same chance of being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or something like that. And you're never going to do it if that's your objective. Like your objective just has to be to craft itself and enjoying it. So for me, I just want to get as good at it as I'm able to get before they uh, throw some dirt over me and put me in the ground. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, I'm... I started writing some other project thing, and now I'm consumed with it. I, once this next week is over, I want to get back into. I just never, I, I have never thought outside of the box of stand up, and now I'm like, oh, this could be a fun project. I could do this little. This could be like a regular series. Oh, and then it starts. I consider the. It's just there's so many other things that can happen. I'm like, okay, well, just stay open. I feel like just hearing what you've done. I'm like, oh, right. There's just. And I, I, mean, I don't have to have an eye with help, but I don't know. I think a good story is a good story. Good, good material is good material. I just took a storytelling class. Oh, you did? Yeah. It, and I just did my the show yesterday for the class. Adam Wade, he's like a 20-time Grand Slam moth winner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think storytelling is a really good way to find new material for comedy. Right, right, because it gives you a wide like a field like several acres then you harvest the things out of those acres for comedy mm-hmm. right improv okay. too even though I know a lot of people would be uh, horrified to hear that but no but improv I agree with that. stuff pops out of improv that yeah. you can study harvest into stand up yeah. yeah 
sketch writing, satire writing. I do all of it. Yeah. I love the classes. When I'm not working, the classes feel the exact same. Because right. I'm really just in it for the creation. I really am just, I, I love the part of somebody is either saying my words up there or I'm up here and nailing a punchline. Like, I love the execution. I love the, um, I got into stand-up comedy for the instant gratification, the result. Right. The result in the moment. I, I have, like, I, I think I was trying to explain it earlier. I have, like, a very impatient anxiety in my body. And so, like, this whole big picture stuff, I, it's very hard for me to grasp. I need, like, to do this show tonight. Like, I need to do, like, Valentine's Day tomorrow. Like, I need it to be happening. Right. Like, I've, I've gotten so impatient. It's hard for me to even be on the train without having, like, a pre-downloaded series of something. Wow. I'm so, like, sick of waiting. Right, right. So that's probably a problem. Right, right. That, that meditation would help that. Cause you see, I hope so. Meditation is just sitting. It's like sitting with the discomfort. It sounds like so much, that sounds so painful to me. Well, try to start off with five minutes or even like a minute. Just turn every, I mean, I don't know. There's, some people put a fan on, other people have raindrops, others have like whatever meditation music. I just, sometimes I'll listen to something, sometimes I'll just be silent, just sit. But, you know, at first it's like, it, it just feels crazy. But now I don't want to, I'm like superstitious, I don't want to start any of my days without sitting there because it definitely over time it's like it builds this whole other psychic muscle it's like giving you like I have psychic the head, abs the headspace app the first oh. one is three minutes I just have to do it I'm gonna do it yeah. I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it tonight and, and, and it doesn't have to be perfect either don't worry about it oh I'm still talking in my head then sit there and have your mind running around for three minutes because the more you have permission to just you're sit. supposed to not think no you're gonna think you can't blank out because <laughs> the point is that at some point in that period of time your your brain waves will have even if it's just, even if it's just like two seconds or three seconds of the other brain wave you sh your body changes it's not about having 15 minutes of silence it's in the 15 minutes your body gets to this place for a, a moment or two and then maybe a little bit more and then over time you start becoming accustomed to be able to sit still and then it changes how you show up in your life. It just does. It just does change things. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I'm going to try. There's like top athletes and performers. They all do it. Mm -hmm. I, I was opening for this guy in Las Vegas and he was uh, backstage afterwards doing it. Like, after? It's like, yeah, because you're going to go see all these fans. You're going to sign all these autographs and all this stuff. And then you're going to go to your room. And then oh your room God. is sitting there. Waiting. I just realized something. Because, like, I'll take... A Xanax before I get on stage and a Xanax after for the rest of the anxiety. That's the same way I used to drink wine. <laughs> well, I think meditation would be useful in your pockets, in your purse, if you have yeah. meditation in your purse. It's the same, like I'm, I'm doing self-care, I just need healthier ways of doing it. Right, right, because then it's something that you can access without it being something you're popping or drinking. Because mm -hmm. then it's like, then it's something you have at any moment. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I have to wait a half an hour. And it's also not outside you. 
I've been trying everything. I tried a colonic for the first time. You looked at me like, am I pronouncing it right? Am I offending your people? It was a couple of days ago. Uh Uh-huh. How was it? Great. 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 I think I'm a a colonic person now. Oh, really? Okay. Well, the reason I bring it up is because when you say, like, meditation, famous people, um, athletes do it. Colonics and stuff like that, like 20 years ago, would have been something that we thought that famous people do because they're too rich and they have money to throw around and do crazy weird things. And meditation used to be like a, a weird, like, odd thing. Right. And now I'm just going to try all of the weird everything until something Sticks. sits right with me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, try it. I mean, I can't imagine meditation ruining your life. <laughs> the more you're able to just sit still and sit with whatever noise... That alone, just the just the capacity, or the just to know there's space in your awareness that you could sit with this, even if you sit and it's like noisy, just to know you're like, oh, I could sit with this. Hmm. So, how can people find you? Kaliesehawkins.com. Okay. C A L I S E Hawkins.com. H A W K I N. My schedule's there. Your schedule's there, and and your social media links are there. And I'll put the little hashtags mm-hmm. and stuff on this as well. And Tristan, how can people find you? Wherever they feel a wind blow across their <laughs> neck near an empty cave, there I can be found in their heart. Oh, so is it, yeah. it's a wind back? Wait, so it, there's a, there's got to be wind. Is that dot com or dot net? <laughs> I mean, you got to you, you got to get dot com net, or you got to get them all. Really. Okay, and so we'll have a link for you as well, Tristan Smith. TristanComedy.com. Tristan Comedy. T R I S. T-A-N That's right. You spelled it right the first time. That's very impressive. I know. I know. I'm Asian. I was spelling bee champ. I you know, have a few things beaten into me. Guys, if you liked how I drive, <laughs> you're going to love how I talk. <laughs> well, I'm Rich Kiamko. Thank you both for being with me here today on WTY We There Yet podcast. If you guys enjoyed yourself, please give us a review on iTunes or on SoundCloud. That's WTYPod. That's WTYPOD. I'm Rich Kamko, R-I-C-H-K-I-A-M-Z-M-R-C-O. Thanks so much for joining us. W-T-Y! It's a comedy journey. 